Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
2 Samuel chapter 9. I love this passage because it points to the gospel and Jesus. Yeah, it's in the Old Testament, but Augustine said that the Old Testament is a fully furnished room. It's just dimly lit. And that just means that everything we know and love about the New Testament, Jesus, grace, mercy, right, the church, it's all there. It's all pointed to in the Old Testament. It's just dimly lit. It's just a little hard to see. But I think it's going to become really obvious as we go through this today. Uh, One of the best ways to understand the gospel is in the context of being invited to come to a meal, to sit down at a table. To be invited anywhere should be, normally, is a great honor, right? My sister just called us this week and sent us a text and said, hey, can you FaceTime with us because we want to invite you to a gender reveal party. Uh, She's pregnant and they were doing that. And so we got to FaceTime and find out that she's having a baby girl. So uh, great invitation, right? My, My brother is getting married to a wonderful woman. And so I'm waiting for that. I'm hoping I get an invitation, hoping we get an invitation to that. But those invitations are good. Last month, I was invited to, be, to go on jury duty. That's not the best invitation, right? It's an honor, but it's not one that I was, I guess, looking forward to. Maybe you're here today because of an invitation, right? From a friend, from a loved one. Maybe you're not thrilled about it, though. Maybe uh, a parent made you come today. Or maybe a spouse kind of twisted your arm to come today. Uh, For a long time, I did not care to come to church. I only came because my mom made me come to church. I would not have been there unless I was scared of her, right? Uh, One day, though, that changed. One day when I really got it. And I pray if you're one of the people in here that's maybe not thrilled about being in here, you just came to, to be nice, um, I pray that that changes for you. And I pray that starts today as you understand what we're all about as a church. Second Samuel chapter 9, would you stand with me as we honor God's word? If you're able, if you're not able to stand, just honor God's word in your heart, right? David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, 
At your service, he replied, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever the Lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Zebul's households were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And don't forget this last part. He was lame in both feet. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we have access to your word, and we believe it is the very word of God, and so we honor it. Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts so that we can receive it. I pray that you would open our eyes and ears so that we can hear what you'd have us hear, see what you'd have us see. Lord, speak to us, call us, transform us to look more like you. Father, I said it's not exactly important, this service right here. Lord, it is because we do gather, but we gather to scatter. We gather to take what we're learning here to this world. And Father, I pray that you'd lay that down on our hearts. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A table is a very important place, right? I hope we all realize how important the tables are in our homes. I don't care if you live in a tiny home with a tiny table. I don't care if you've got a, a table that's made out of a piece of wood stacked on milk cartons or milk crates, right? That's your table. And I believe it's the heart of your home. It can be one of the most sacred places that you can bless the people that are in your lives. I believe that. Don't, don't take for granted eating with people. There's something special about it. The church at its best is like a table, like a, a dinner table. We invite people to come join us at the table. You see the ministry of Jesus. He was all the time inviting people to eat with him, right? He was even inviting himself over to eat at other people's homes, going a little bit in that direction. Even when he was on a mountain, right, and there were tons of people around him, he said, sit down and I'll feed you. At some point, I believe that in every person's life, Jesus invites you to sit at his table. And when you get it, it is the most amazing invitation you can ever receive, an invitation that will change your life, an invitation that will wreck your life, turn your life upside down if you accept it and really get it. And it becomes even more amazing 
when you realize that you can be a part of that invitation for somebody else to come sit at the king's table. It's a beautiful privilege and honor. Verse 1, David asks, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Doug, I feel like I'm, I'm doing second part of the series that you started today. It just lined up perfectly, right? Doing a little recap from last week. Saul was Israel's very first king. Saul looked like a king, right? The Bible says he was a, a foot taller than everyone else. He started off well. Started off small in his own eyes. But the more success and respect that he got, the more he wanted to keep that, the more he was focused in on keeping that. He became consumed with pleasing men instead of pleasing God, as Pastor Doug pointed out last week. Saul got too big in his own eyes. He thought God was using him because of him and not in spite of him. And this happens in God's kingdoms when you get too big to serve, you become too small to lead. And despite warning after warning, Saul continued in on this path and he literally lost his mind and eventually his life. His story ended badly in a massive fit of jealousy, right? A massive spirit of jealousy uh, was on his life, in particular aimed at David. David, all he ever wanted to do was to honor and help Saul, though, right? He helped soothe Saul's spirit and uplift his moods. He helped Saul when he had problems. Saul had a giant problem. You remember that story? And at one point, God used David to help him out with that. He served him faithfully. He fought for him. And out of that faithfulness came songs. Saul has slain his thousands. Saul liked that, right? But David has tens of thousands. And that stirred up that spirit of jealousy in his life. And Saul tried to kill David. It it got so out of hand that even Saul's son Jonathan saw it. He, He was good friends with David, right? But he saw what his dad was doing, and he's like, Dad, what are you doing? David's just trying to help you, and yet you're trying to kill him. And Saul was like, you have no idea. As long as this guy David lives right, you will never be king. And Saul ends up throwing a spear at his own son. That's how far he fell. And there's a lesson there for each and every one of us on where sin can take us if we allow it to, right? It can take us to a place that we would never think we'd go in a million years. Oh, I'd never do that, right? I'd I'd never try to kill my own son. And yet, here's what Saul does. Both Saul and his son Jonathan would end up dying on the same day, and David soon after would become king. The passage that we read is a that we just read is a a point in time about 10 years after David becomes king, and things are going really well for him. He's crushing it. There's peace The Ark of the Covenant is in the city, which represented God's presence there. And one day, he wakes up, and what's he say? Is there anyone still alive in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? Now, this this would be completely normal to ask this question, is there anyone in my enemy's house still alive, right? 
Because we know back then, uh, you wanted to find that out so that you could put them to death. You didn't want Black Panther story coming out where Michael B. Jordan, Killmonger, comes and challenges for the throne of Wakanda, right? You didn't want any of that. If you don't watch Marvel movies, you, you probably don't get that. But in ancient times, the moment that somebody took a throne, the search was on for their heirs or people that could challenge for the throne. And any threats to that were often put to death, right? Heirs to the old king or even siblings, your own siblings, were often found and, and put to death. And I'm sure that when Mephibosheth gets that summoned to the palace, he's got to be thinking, I'm dead, right? David's inviting me over to dinner. So David asks, who's still alive that I can show kindness to? Ziba tells him about Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Verse 4, where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. Don't miss that last part. Mephibosheth is in Lodabar. Debar means pasture. It's a place where you would let your animals graze. A good place, right? The problem is low means no. So if you put those two together, it's no pasture. That's what this land was known for. It's known for its lack of food. It's known for its lack of pasture land. If you don't have pasture land, then you don't have animals that are grazing and and you're not able to feed on those animals and what they can provide, right? This would not be an ideal place to live. And contrast that with how Mephibosheth grew up. Son of a king, right? In the palace, I'm sure there are parties, there are feasts all the time going on. There were, there were food being brought to them regularly. Like There's all this wealth. And, and then there's the station that he enjoyed as grandson to the king. He, he goes from that, though, to seeing not only his grandfather killed, but also his father. And he even loses his ability to walk. And he's stuck living in low debar. No longer is he held in high esteem. No longer is anybody kissing up to him. He's kind of like the prodigal son. You remember that story, right? The, the prodigal son was this guy who, who got all his wealth, right? And he went to the far land and he's buying drinks for everybody and everybody's coming up to him because of what he can do for them. But then what happens? Famine hits the land and all that money runs out. And he loses all those friends, all those drinking buddies, right? No one was around him willing to help him. Mephibosheth is experiencing poverty, but not only poverty, he's also experiencing incapacity. He was lame in both feet. He couldn't walk, right? And so not only is he in a rough land, but he's not able to work it. And that would, at this time, that'd be a rough spot to be in. It'd be a time of no hope. Back then, there were no, no nice wheelchairs available to people, no electric scooters, no ADA standards, no accessibility rules to watch out for people. We are blessed to live in the world that we live in with those things. At this time, Mephibosheth not only doesn't have anything in this land of Lodabar, but he also has no ability to do anything for people. So nobody's knocking down his doors trying to gain his favor. Nobody's going to go out of their way to help this guy out. Get this though. 
this is the place, right? This is the place in his poverty, in his incapacity, where he experiences the generosity of a king. Do you see the gospel in that? A king that should be an enemy, but is not. And so Mephibosheth comes in, he's expecting one one thing, but he experiences something totally different. A kindness that he couldn't have imagined, right? It's even more than he feels like he deserves. We know that from his statement. He says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? That was his response to David saying this, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. Instant wealth, right? This is like hitting the $2 billion lotto. He's very wealthy now. David gives him all Saul's land, and he also gives him Saul's steward, Ziba, and all of Ziba's sons and workers. Remember, 15 sons, 20 workers, that will farm this land and work for him and bring in all this money, all this security, all this wealth, right? Can you imagine what Mephibosheth must have been feeling at this moment? Not only does he get all that, but David makes this incredible announcement at the end of verse 10. Mephibosheth, you will always eat at my table for the rest of your life. You're welcome at my table, the king's table. You are welcome to eat with me. You'll have my ear, right? Anything that's bothering you, you can come straight to the king and tell him. And not only do you get access to me, but you get access to my family. You have that honor. You have that permanent seat where you will always be welcome for every meal. What generosity, right? Incredible generosity, extravagant generosity. And do you see the gospel in it? You have to understand this picture It's the picture of the generosity of God towards you and me. Here's a place, if you want it, right? To sit at the king's table. That's what's available to us forever. You can come and be fed. You can come and talk to me. You don't have to go through somebody else, right? You can come directly to me. This is the kindness of God. I love that word that's used there. In Exodus 33, verse 18, God and Moses are talking. And Moses asks something crazy. He says, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory, right? God agrees, but can't fully show or reveal his glory to Moses because he wouldn't have been able to live. It would have been like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom at the end where they open up the Ark of the Covenant and all those Nazis' faces get melted off. So God puts Moses into the cleft of a rock, and and the Bible says he covers him with his own hands as he passes by, right? And after he does, in the next chapter, Exodus 34, 6, he says this, 
And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. Anybody here grateful that he's slow to anger? I would not be here if he wasn't. Abounding in love and faithfulness. That's how God describes himself. And, and that one part, abounding in love, the word that's translating abounding, abounding in love, it, it's a difficult word to kind of nail down because it's translated a bunch of different ways. Unfailing love, steadfast love, abounding in loving kindness, faithful love, loyal. And get this, right? This is the same word that David uses when he wakes up and says, is there anyone in Saul's family that I can show this word to? Kindness. The beautiful thing about this word is that it can't be nailed down. What it, what it means. To translate it and just use one word doesn't do it justice. And so we see all these different words and all these different ideas shown. And in doing so, we get a, a more complete picture of God and who he is. He's not just kindness personified. He's overflowing love, unfailing covenant. He's abounding in all of these things. And David wants to show that kind of kindness to the son of an enemy, to the son of somebody who we would consider as an enemy. But that's not how he chooses to see him, right? Can we be reminded that we all have a choice and how we see people. Is that person in your life an enemy? Or is that person in your life a potential future brother or sister in Christ? You can see them either way. Right? David looks with kindness because he's looking for a proxy. A proxy, like when somebody acts on your behalf, right? If you have ever had a power of attorney for someone. David is looking for someone to bless because of the relationship, because of the friendship that he had with Jonathan. Again, another element of God's grace. Mephibosheth summoned, thinking, well, nice knowing you, right? And ends up with a seat at the king's table. What in the world did I do to deserve this? Well, nothing. Right? There's nothing he did to deserve it. There's nothing that you and I did to deserve a seat at the king's table. It's not based on that, right? It's not based on what you could do to earn it. If it was based on something you could do, then there would be something that you could do to take it away, to unearn it, right? To jeopardize it. But that's not the beauty of God's grace. The beauty of God's grace is that it's not based on you and what you do. David's doing this for Jonathan's sake. That's why he's showing this kindness, right? 
Is there anyone alive from the house of my enemy that I can show kindness to because of proxy, because of my relationship with Jonathan? It's the gospel on display. God doesn't invite you to the banquet table of grace and salvation and wholeness based on what you did or what you can bring. Oh, you, you kept enough of the Ten Commandments. You're, you're doing pretty good with that. You memorized enough of the Bible verses. You, you changed your life. You cleaned your life up enough. Maybe you stopped smoking and you got that out of your life. And, and man, you just earned a place at the table. That's not how it works, right? No, that's, that's every other religion. That is every other religion. Maybe if you're good enough, maybe if you do enough good things, you can meet God. That's what every other religion says. But not so with Christianity, right? God knew we could never make it, never be good enough, because the standard's perfection. And so he sends his son Jesus, right? And God sees his son struggling to breathe on the cross with the weight of all our sins on his back. And because of what Jesus did, God says, I'm going to show kindness to you. I'm going to show grace to you for my son's sake. Mephibosheth was proxied in for Jonathan. You and I are proxied in for Jesus. It's, it's called the great exchange. And that's what it is, right? 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. The most damning thing that you could ever do or think is to think somehow you earn this. Somehow you could earn this. Somehow you have to earn this. No, this is God's grace. This is God's gift. We don't earn it. There's nothing we could do to earn it. It's a gift. There's nothing we could do, right? Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that all of our good deeds are like filthy rags. Before him, they had no value. And that's because, like Mephibosheth, we have all fallen. We've all fallen, right? That's how Mephibosheth got hurt, by the way, right? Second Samuel 4 4, if you remember the story. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. He was in poverty and incapacity because of a fall. We're all in spiritual poverty and incapacity because of a fall, because of sin. His nurse had been carrying him, but he fell and became lame. The one person, right? The one person that he should have been able to trust let him down. I think a lot of us have been let down by other people. Sometimes people that are close. We're wounded. We're damaged. We're broken. And sometimes it feels that we just can't move past 
those times or those events when another person dropped us. I realize that I preach to people that have been scarred by others. Most of you have probably have been dropped in one way or another. An uncle that should have been trusted but slipped into a bedroom at night and took advantage of someone. A spouse who promised to always be faithful till death do us part, right? But found somebody younger. A company that you bled for for years but dropped you for somebody cheaper, somebody faster, somebody younger. I know what it's like to have been dropped by people. Dropped by people that were very close in my life in the most painful ways. This is what it's like to live on a broken planet. A fallen planet. But this is why God sent his son. Right? To renew people. To make people whole again. And this is why Jesus set up the church. So that we could continue on in this mission. That's what we want to be about here. We gather to scatter so that we can go out there with this message of grace. So that we can tell people there is a God who loves them and will make them whole. If you think church is boring, you don't get its purpose. You don't get your purpose in it, your role to play. You have a beautiful role to play. He has gifted you. You don't have to be like me. You don't have to be like anybody else. You be who God created you to be with your particular gifts. And you find a way to build the kingdom of God. And you do it with a family. And before we start thinking too highly of ourselves and just blame others, right? I'm sure if you're like me, you can think of some people that you've dropped in hurtful ways yourself. Scripture tells us that we've all sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We've dropped and hurt people. And we've all been summoned to the king, right? Who has every right to dismiss us from his presence. But instead, he chooses to send his son to exchange places with us. He chooses to offer us a seat at the table. The table with Christ at its head We're all offered to be brought into the family of God, right? To become sons and daughters of God. We're all offered and given an extended family. If you've accepted that, isn't it great to have people to sit alongside? Others to share your pain with, to share your joy with, right? Others to help carry burdens. What a tremendous privilege that is to be the church. Others to find encouragement with. Others to worship with. What's better than that? That's the beauty of the table. The church. The exciting part is that we get to invite others to sit with us. We get to invite others to come to know the one who sits at the head. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords the kind and just God who offers everyone a seat at the table. 
including his enemies. At the table, we find something amazing, many amazing things, but one thing is a new identity. David brought Mephibosheth into his family, and here he found that new identity, right? His old identity was shame. He found his old identity the day his family was killed and the day he was dropped and became lame. David, is there anyone that I can show kindness to in Saul's family? Ziba says, there's a son of Jonathan, but he's lame. And when Ziba uses this word for lame, it means both lame on the outside with his feet, but also lame on the inside. It pointed to he was battered on the inside. His spirit was battered, beat down, broken. At the end of the passage, though, when he's sitting at the table, I told you to remember these words, right? It repeats that he's lame. But the words that are used there just mean lame on the outside, have nothing to do with how he is on the inside. What is Mephibosheth doing in verse 13? Well, he was dwelling in Jerusalem, right? And he was eating at the king's table. And as a result, he was no longer battered on the inside. No longer a victim. Now he's sitting with the king, right? No longer an orphan. He's got a family. All that pain that was on the inside, God's grace dealt with it. In fact, his name, Mephibosheth, means destroyer of shame. Isn't that cool? Destroyer of shame, a beautiful name, a beautiful identity, one that he grew into because of God's grace, because of a king's kindness. Yes, his feet didn't work, but he's been brought into the king's family. And that's where his new identity came from. Mephibosheth got to a place that each and every one of us need to get to, the place where our identity isn't based on what's been taken from us. Isn't based on what's been done to us. Yes, legs didn't work, but guess what? He's sitting with the king. Can you let that be your identity right now, no matter what's happened in your life? Not, well, I'm an addict, or I'm this way because a person betrayed me, or... I was abandoned, or I was a son of an alcoholic, or maybe I was an alcoholic, or I struggle with this, or I struggle with that, or I'm a horrible person. No, you were. But that's not the end of your story. You have a new identity. You are invited to the king's table. You eat with the king of kings. You eat with the Lord of Lords, right? And He calls you son. He calls you daughter. Notice the grace of God. The table covers the brokenness of Mephibosheth, right? He's sitting there. He's no different than anyone else at this table, right? The table covers our brokenness. The table is that relationship. It's the picture of what we've been invited into. When we sit together, we're all covered equally by God's grace. We all get a new identity, and I pray that you live out of that. I pray that you get that, 
the, the world and others will give you a name, right? The world and others will give you a label, often one of shame. I find that we even give ourselves those names, those labels, right? But God will give you a new name. He will give you a, a, a name that trumps any other name that this world can give you. And you have to live from that place. you got to get it. I sit with the king. I sit with the king. He calls me son. He calls me daughter. What label could you throw on me that trumps that? There's nothing, right? I want to wrap this up. I'm wondering, is there anyone in here that's maybe never thought about an invitation to the king's table? I wonder if there's anybody in here that's maybe accepted God's gift of grace. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If, if God is reaching out to you, I want to give you an opportunity to respond, a, a moment to, to, to think about that. Before I do that, though, I want to speak to the ones that do know him, the ones that have accepted that invitation, right? I want to read verse 13 again. It says this, And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. A question comes to mind. If you know Christ and he's offered you a seat at the table, how often do you eat there? How often do you spend time with him? I mean, truly spend time with him. It seems that we're often content to live in Lodabar when we could be eating at his table. Right? Can I remind you of what you have available if you're not too busy? Carve time out to spend time with him. Do it at a meal. Invite people to do it with you, right? Can I also, can I also remind you to follow a king's example? Right? I said it at the beginning. David's at this point where he's crushing it. He's just winning, right? There's wins here, wins there. There's nothing in his way. It's peace. It's prosperity, right? And, and what does a king who has a heart after God's own heart do in moments of prosperity? He wakes up and says, is there anyone that I can show kindness to? If you're winning, if you're crushing it in this time, right, this is a great season to show kindness to someone. Don't miss that. You can, you can instead go buy stuff, buy toys that will just rust, or you can be kind to somebody. You can invite somebody to the table. It's a great way to invite somebody to meet the King of Kings, right? People are in Lodabar, and they have had shame heaped on them that are in your life. People have been hurt by the falls in their life. People have been hurt by the things that they've done. People have been hurt by the things that have been done to them. For some, there is nothing left. For some, there is no hope. There are people contemplating suicide. There are people that are trapped in addiction. But Jesus set up his church 
And he sends you and me with a message of hope to them. If we're not too busy. If we're not too scared. If we're not still labeled with the labels that other people have given us. Man, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I don't know about you. That's who I am. That's who you are. You're an ambassador for Christ. You represent the king. You invite people to his table. Will you take that on? I pray you do. I pray you pray for opportunities to do that. I pray you invite people into your life and to be people at your own table and you share the good news with them, right? We have invitations to share to the king's table. This is our purpose. This is our mission, to share those. Our purpose is to testify what sitting at the table with the king of kings has done in our lives. Man, when I met Christ, he flipped my life upside down. And here's how and what he's done. Testify to what he's done in your life, right? All right, what about you? What about you? I don't know if there's anybody in here that doesn't know Christ. I want to give you an opportunity, right? Do you want to accept that gift of grace, that invitation to the table? I'm going to take you through a prayer so that you can do it. If God's tugging on your heart right now, I don't know who you are. Right? I don't know what's going on in some of your lives. I know, I know some of you. But there's a lot of people that I don't know. If God's tugging on your heart and you're like, man, I want this. I may not fully understand it, but I want this. I want to I pray for you. And I want to just explain it. Right, The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all sinned. We have all fallen short. And that earns us death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, through the cross. We can never be good enough, but God sent his son to take our place, right? And while we were sinners, it says, while we were sinners, we didn't get it all worked out. Jesus died for us. He died on a cross to pay the price for our sins. And scripture tells us that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's all you have to do. It's a beautiful gift that's offered to you. Would you bow your heads with me? If that's you, can I, can I invite you to the table? Can you pray this prayer with me in your heart? Lord, I am broken and I am lost. Lord, I confess that I have sinned. I have done things that I shouldn't have. But I thank you for sending your son to take my place to take my sins upon him and pay the price for them. Lord, I simply ask you to save me. I have nothing to offer, but I accept your gift of grace. I accept it, believing that you can save me, and I put all my faith and trust and in you and in you alone. Lord, I give you my life, and I ask you to lead me all the rest of the days of my life. It's your name, Jesus, I ask these things.